Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, the host of Foodie Pharmacology, the podcast for the food curious. We're getting close in the countdown to the release of my new book, The Plant Hunter. It's a book about adventure, scientific discovery, medicine, and so much more. So be sure to check out my author website at CassandraQuave.com to learn more. This week on the show, we're going to take a deeper look into the connections between food and medicine. My guest today is Dr. Peter Kozalski, and he did his residency in family practice, but transitioned to functional medicine as an intern. Today, he has clinical practices in Chicago and also in Bozeman, Montana. He's trained in clinics with leaders in the field, including Dr. Mark Hyman and Dr. Deepak Chopra. He is the author of a new book entitled Unfunk Your Gut, a functional medicine guide that just came out this year. And I love the title, Peter, Unfunk Your Gut. It sounds, Thank it sounds you very really much. fun. <laughs> at, at my practice, we, used to, we have a saying that said, we, we put the funk in functional medicine. Um, That's so, awesome. <laughs> and then I had a friend that gave me a suggestion for my book title that was a little more un, uh, inappropriate. So we switched it to Unfunk. Unfunk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why don't we start with, why don't we start there with what is functional medicine? You know, I mean, this is a term that I think many in the audience have heard before, but perhaps don't really know what it really encompasses. Yeah. So I, the, the biggest difference between me as a functional medicine doctor and me as a family practice doctor is I was trained for you to come in. We have 15 minutes and I listen to your symptoms and I figure out what pill is going to help you alleviate those symptoms. That's family practice. Functional medicine, I spend, usually at an initial visit, I spend 90 minutes with someone and that's after spending like an hour to two going over 40 pages of intake paperwork that they've filled out before I meet them. And instead of listening to your symptoms and telling you how you're going to feel better, we try to figure out why you're sick, mm. right? And so there's five main areas that we look, food, gut health, hormone imbalances, environmental toxins, and mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And for most people, it's a combination of those things. It's in traditional medicine, we really try to identify like this equals that. This is definitely the cause of that. In my experience, it's usually a combination of things that leads to things like autoimmune disease or autism or high high blood pressure or whatever. Um, so in through eliminating whatever you have too much of in your body, and then also identifying what you do not have enough of when we balance that out, the, usually the body heals and, um, people get better. Uh, functional medicine to me should be preventative medicine, like family practice. That's what we we do. We do, you know, supposedly preventative care, to me, functional medicine is true uh, preventative care, but 99% of the people that I work with um, come in already and chronic disease has been onset for usually many years and we're trying to turn it around. Um, and luckily we, we have a lot of success, but um, that's that's the main difference. So it's, and then I would say one other thing is like functional medicine only works if you work it. And so if, you, you can't come into a functional medicine doctor and just expect to like get a pill and feel better, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to have to probably make some significant changes in your life, uh, in order for that healing to happen. I love, I love these concepts. You know, I don't, 
we hadn't met before, but my, my background's in medical ethnobotany. So I spent a lot of my time studying different indigenous systems of medicine and, and ways of knowing and healing. And there's so many echoes of, the, of these concepts in, in so many different systems of, of traditional healing, whether it's Ayurveda or, or Tibetan medicine or traditional Chinese medicine or shamanism. It, it's really all about restoring balance and also um, about this idea of, of putting the power to heal within the patient's hands or perhaps more the responsibility that it's not just here's a pill I'm going to fix you like you're a broken car it's more of here's a path that you need to follow to get you back onto a healthy a healthy you know road ahead yeah absolutely that's great so I just as a point of curiosity you're you're when you did your training like how did you how did you decide to make that switch from from you know typical family practice to to more of a functional medicine practice so it's just totally random luck i say um mm -hmm. and most functional medicine medical doctors people that make the switch switch because they've had some kind of chronic disease themselves Mm -hmm. that they attempted to treat through regular medicine models and then searched out something different. Um, for me, it's, a, it's similar, but it's different. My story, my, my disease is not a physical disease, but a mental disease. So I learned in my 20s that I had a problem with alcohol. And uh, I tried to stop drinking when I went into residency. And I had no idea how to deal with life. And so during residency, I took a six week break and went to a treatment program uh, for alcohol abuse. And it was there that there we didn't do anything about alcohol. Everything was about why, right? Mm -hmm. Why do you drink? What, what triggered this? What, what happened? What's going on? And so that's where I was kind of introduced myself into like the root cause idea. And while I was in treatment, we were doing things like meditation and yoga and acupuncture and exercise and all these things that um, I had heard of, but I didn't really know anything about. And so I, I went through treatment and it was a, obviously a life changing experience. And when I got back to residency, I was still an intern and I had a as an inter, as as residents, you're taught by different practitioners all the time, right? You have different what they call attending doctors. Everybody has their own style. Um, everybody's a little different, so you learn different things from different people. And we had one doctor that every time we had a hospitalized patient, he would start them on a multivitamin and vitamin D. And mm -hmm. we thought it was a joke. Uh, we would be upset because we were the ones that would have to like write the orders and deal with it. Um, do the scut work as they called it. And we just, nobody else was doing it. Nobody had talked to us ab about that. So it was just strange. And after <clears throat> my own treatment, I was on call with him, Dr. Batra, and it was like 2 a.m. on a Sunday night. And I just kind of asked him, I was like, why are you weird? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, I'm studying this thing called functional medicine. And he took me to the IFM website and he, he's like, this is all about like trying to figure out why people are sick. And I was like, it sounds, it makes sense. Sounds like it makes sense. And so I looked into it and as a resident, you're required to go to CMEs to go to get other medical education. So I signed up for the IFM, AFMCP, which is the applying functional medicine course. 
And within the first hour, I knew my life would never be the same. Like I knew I could never look at medicine the same. It was all taught from like a biochemistry and an anatomy level. Everything just made sense. And, and I was just kind of wondering why uh, nobody had taught me to look at the body this way before. Um, so the other thing that happened at that conference is, is that there were doctors much old. I was the youngest or the earliest in my career for sure. And, but there was doctors that were surgeons and OBs and all these different people that were there and they were well established in their careers. And I was just kind of like talking to people, why are you here? You know, what are you, why are you investing in this? And they said that this is the future of medicine. This is, if you're just starting, this is where you should focus your career. And so that's what I did. Um, I, it just kind of took off from there. And luckily my family medicine, uh, residency director was super supportive and he let me leave my residency program and do go do away rotations with the, some of the leaders in the field. And, and that's where I really kind of started to really learn. It's amazing. Well, let's, let's start with this discussion of diet and the connection between diet and health. I think many of our listeners recognize that the Western diet, high fat, high sugar, low amounts of physical activity all contribute towards, you know, a chronic disease. But what is the functional medicine take on diet and what can people do to improve their health? Yeah. So diet's an area that, I mean, it depends on the functional medicine doctor that you ask probably what their uh, opinion is on it. Um, for me, and, it, and if um, listeners end up getting my book, it, I like to keep things simple. And that's, I was taught that in recovery. That's how, what helped me in recovery was keeping things simple. And that's what I've tried to apply to medicine. Um, the first chapter in my book is basically making fun of the internet and <laughs> how, you know, just, I did an experiment of Googling abdominal pain and just what happened in all the different areas that I could go. So we're, we're presented with too much information, right? And a lot of people mm -hmm. can't filter it. And so like my best friend is a raw vegan. Um, I have patients that only follow keto diets. I have patients that only follow paleo diets. I have patients that are on the autoimmune protocol. So the first thing that I kind of believe with diet is that we have to find the right one for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just because like your favorite social media celebrity follows a specific diet doesn't mean it's like the right one for you. Um, and what we look for with the way I was trained in functional medicine, the, the biggest thing that's missing in kind of nutrition that people aren't aware of is food sensitivities, mm. which is different than food allergies, which is different than celiac disease. Those are kind of the main three reactions your immune system has against food. Allergies are an IgE response. Celiac is an IgA response. And sensitivities are an IgG response. These are all types of immunoglobulins, that, that exactly. different types of immunoglobulins. Okay. Yep. And celiac and allergies are really easy because the regular medical world believes in them. There's good testing. So if we're curious and you also don't make it very far in life without like figuring out that you're allergic to peanuts or something. Mm -hmm. um, sensitivities are what we work with. And they are so difficult because um, 
they are delayed hours to days after eating the food. So mm. I could be sensitive to gluten, but I eat a bagel every day for breakfast. And I feel fine after that bagel, but I've got chronic migraines or I've got chronic eczema or I've got chronic gut issues. And I have no clue that it's the bagel because I feel fine after eating it. So that's the first thing that kind of makes them so dangerous. And the second one is that in, in my opinion, and this is another one where you'll get different opinions, I don't think there's reliable food sensitivity testing. So if there's food sensitivity panels, but they're usually just a marker of whether or not you have something called leaky gut. Mm. So the way that you diagnose uh, food sensitivity is through a 21 day elimination with a food by food reintroduction. The top foods that we cut out are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs, sugar, shellfish, beef, pork, coffee, um, processed meats. Um, and so you cut those out for 21 days and then you add them back in. And I'm always a why person. And it's like, well, why 21 days? What, why, where did we come up with that number? Everything in your body has a half-life. So it, whether you drink alcohol, whether you smoke cigarettes, your prescription drugs, um, your hormones, toxins like lead and mercury or mold, uh, mycotoxins all have a different half-life. And that's our clearance time. The half-life of IgG antibodies is about 21 days. So if I had a bagel today and I have 100 antibodies right now floating around, right, that's my immune kind of response. If I don't have any gluten for 21 days, my immune response will cut in half to 50. And then I eat it again on day 22, our immune systems have really good memories. And if the immune system when sees gluten again and it's like, okay, that's an invader and it attacks and you'll get symptoms. And symptoms could be anything. You could break out in a rash, you can get a migraine, you can get blurry vision, you can get tired, you can get knee pain, uh, diarrhea. It, it could be anything because the, the inflammation has gotten into your body and then it can go anywhere. So in doesn't matter whether you're vegan or, or carnivore or whatever, I, I still think that the most important first step always in determining uh, what's the right diet for you is an elimination diet. And food sensitivities can change over time. So like I typically do one, uh, me and my wife, like once a year. Um, and, but that, that, and then if one other piece of nutrition advice that I give people is eat nine to 12 servings of vegetables and fruit a day. And that is a lot, right? In the yeah. standard American diet, which we call the sad diet, um, it's one to three, right? Mm -hmm. Like we eat pancakes and bacon and breakfast sandwiches. Then we eat pizza and hot dogs. And then we have like a side of broccoli for dinner. Um, so with, if you're getting nine to 12 servings of vegetables and fruit, it doesn't really matter what else you're doing with your diet. You're, you probably just don't have room for other stuff. Yeah. Right? So it'll, it's like a easy, but not easy for most people way to kind of like eat a cleaner diet, to eat a healthier diet. What are your thoughts on, on foods that are transformed through fermentation? So I'm thinking like pickled, like brine pickled vegetables or kimchi, like are there any additional like benefits of those for, for these kind of diets that you recommend? So to me, I, um, I would call those like pre and probiotic foods, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the absolute best foods. 
right? Because they feed your microbiome. And that's what a lot of my book is about. And what we do in functional medicine is your gut health. Mm-hmm. So you need foods like that to feed your microbiome. Um, bananas, garlic, avocados, uh, fermented yogurts or, or things like that, that could be dairy or non-dairy, um, sauerkraut, kimchi. So those are all the best foods. But one of the things that I learned in my practice, um, the most being a gut doctor, the most common condition I treat is called SIBO, um, small intestine bacteria overgrowth, which we could get into. Um, but all of us have three to five pounds of bacteria growing in our gut, right? That's called your microbiome. That bacteria should live in your large intestine, which is the last part of your gut. So your gut is your mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and then your pancreas, liver, and gallbladder are connected. The gut bacteria should live in the large intestine. Pretty much, so the digestive process starts in the stomach, and that's where we start breaking down food, protein specifically, and then that food and acid from the stomach pass into your small intestine, and that's where the pancreas releases all these enzymes that help you break down the food, and that's where you absorb your nutrients. And so the small intestine is 20 feet long, but it has 2,000 square feet of absorptive surface. It's wow. lined with these things called microvilli, which increase the surface area. And so the small intestine is this, um, it, the first few parts of your gut, your mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, should have extremely minimal amount of bacteria compared to your large intestine. And due to all types of reasons, um, your microbiome can move into your small intestine. And then this nice happy area where you should be digesting and absorbing is covered in bacteria. And what I learned in my practices is we were typically putting everyone on elimination diet when they would come in and we were seeing people get worse and Mm. we're like, why are they getting worse? Well, for a lot of people, they're eating a lot more pre and probiotics, right? So why would somebody with that's eating more in pre probiotics feel worse? SIBO. Your, your gut bacteria are alive. They eat via an anaerobic process fermentation, which creates gas. It's a great thing if it's happening in your large intestine and your microbiome's healthy. It's a big problem if it's going on in your small intestine where you should be digesting and absorbing food. So foods like that are going to feed your gut bacteria, which is a disaster if the gut bacteria are living in the wrong place. Mm. So um, the diet that we introduced in my book is the, we call it the cause plan and it's an elimination diet that is also low FODMAP. Uh, The low FODMAP diet is one of the ways that we treat SIBO. It's basically a diet that's low in fermentable foods to starve your gut bacteria. Not a good long-term diet. It should be very short-term while you treat SIBO. But so I, I always caution people with that. That's just been my experience with working with a number of patients over the years is the increasing the pre and probiotics can make people with SIBO feel worse. That's really, that's a really great point. You know, it, it's, I'm a big fan of, of medical history, too, and, and all this talk about elimination diets makes me think a bit about some of the writings in, in, in the Hippocratic Corpus, where, you know, in the time in ancient Greece, they, you know, when you had a disease, they would sometimes eliminate certain foods or introduce different foods. I mean, so I think 
for for a really long time, we've used food as a way of, of helping to manage health. But somehow, maybe since the 1800s, really, when we started moving towards, you know, isolated compounds towards distinct targets that we really started moving away from that. So it's exciting to see a resurgence um, in this area of medicine. Yeah, it's I mean, it's like what I always say is like Hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut. Right. Mm -hmm. And basically, since he said that everything we've done is destroy our guts. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like we, we went, he figured this out incredibly without any lab testing or anything. And, and, uh, we, we've just completely screwed it up since then with, with changing our food supply, with all the medications, with all the toxins, with all the stress. And, um, so we've gone backwards. So yeah, getting back to the basics, I mean, you know, it's sad that, I mean, to me, it's sometimes sad to see like, you know, just by cutting out all the stuff that's marketed on TV all day long, you can heal chronic disease. Like what, what is going on? It, it is, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I know that in, in just personally when I travel, so when I do field work in the Mediterranean, you know, here in the U S I eat, I try and eat healthy, but I get a lot of processed foods in my diet. But when I'm in Italy, I think I just automatically feel so much better because I'm eating fresh fruit and vegetables from my parent-in-law's garden like every day. I'm eating a lot of food, but I always lose weight and I always feel amazing because I'm just eating all this fresh food. There's no processed stuff. And, you know, when I've worked in the Balkans, the same thing. It's like all fresh food, but a lot of fermented foods as well. A lot of these fermented vegetables and yogurts and coasts and things like that. Um, Yeah, it's it's and since, you know, being kind of stuck <laughs> at home during COVID, I haven't had the benefit of that cycle of like a really healthy food summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my field work. Yeah. Um, Something that I've always found kind of uh, amazing and, and I'm not uh, an expert in, in the history of medicine like you, but it, my family's from Poland. My, mm-hmm. my parents immigrated. I was born in America, but uh, first generation American. And so I used to go back to the Poland during the summers a lot. And they, I always just look at it like they spent my, my grandparents and ancestors spent their whole summer farming. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what did they do at the end of the summer? They pickled everything and fermented everything, not because they knew it was good for their microbiome or that they had a microbiome, but because that's kind of like what God gave us on earth to, to how to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, culture was like amazing for your gut microbiome and they didn't even know what was going on. They had no, I assume most of them did not know that they had a microbiome. Um, so it's just kind of amazing like that, that, and then again, we've just completely screwed that up, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know. I think, you know, um, I, in my, my classes that I teach, I teach a course on food and health and, you know, there's also a lot of misconceptions over what is, what is a, fermented food that has these kind of probiotic effects you know a lot of the pickles that we see in the grocery store are actually vinegar pickled they're not you know brine fermented and so there's a very different health benefit you have from that classic kind of um, dill pickle that's in a brine in the freezer section or in the fridge section versus you know your your vinegar soaked um, vegetables in the aisles Um, Yeah. yeah well talking about you know, elimination diets and other ways of modifying the diet. I know in your book, you also get into um, something that's become more popular in recent years, and that's intermittent fasting. 
Sorry, can you tell us a little bit about how that how that process works and and what it does um, to to the body? Yeah. So um, this is another thing where it's just crazy to me that it's the simple process of not eating is healing your body, right? And we have mm -hmm. such a hard time with that, and it's just another thing that's like so simple. Um, it intermittent fasting. Um, Another area where there's just different opinions from from pretty much everybody you talk to about it. Um, I learned about intermittent fasting when I was training in functional medicine. Um, but honestly, I was not a fan of it. Um, I had a lot of patients that would come in and they'd been doing it already. I mean, most people that come in to see me have already made quite a bit of changes. But they weren't really seeing. I mean, the majority of people do intermittent fasting for weight loss, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason. And they weren't really seeing the benefits. And I was sometimes telling people to do intermittent fasting and just wasn't really getting anywhere. But what I was doing was recommending 16 hour fasts three times a week. Mm -hmm. And in going back and like researching it again, I realized that that was not long enough. And so what I switched to is 24 hour fast, two or three times a week, 24 to 36 hours. And the, the results have been amazing. So I, I do fasting, um, on Mondays and Fridays, um, twice a week. And I don't do it for weight loss. I do it because it helps my testosterone and it helps my growth hormone. Um, it's one of the few things that raises BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor, which is the higher your BDNF, the lower your risk of dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's all these other reasons that I do it, um, not for the weight loss, but it, the whole point of it is to stimulate gluconeogenesis, right? To have your body when you're not eating, your body still needs energy. Your body typically gets energy from food. And so if you're not eating, how do you get energy? Well, your body starts chewing up basically stored fat and sugars and it turns that well, it's stored fat and it turns it into sugars, right? Which then mm -hmm. stimulate energy. So most of us have quite a bit extra stored. So by not eating, our body has to look for other sources and that's how, um, we kind of keep our metabolism healthy. Um, so, and gluconeogenesis doesn't really get going to like hour number 20. Wow. So that, that's where the 16 hour fast was just not enough mm -hmm. and why I've seen better results with 24 and sometimes 36. So walk the audience through like what a, what a fasting day would be like. Are you, are you still drinking water? Are you taking like clear liquids like coffee or is it just limited to water? everybody's different. Um, mm -hmm. so for me, what it looks like is Sunday, we'll have dinner pretty early, like four 30. Um, and then nothing else that night and then nothing, no food again till Monday at four 30. So that's 24 hour fast. I drink lots of water. I like coffee. I'm a coffee drinker and coffee is an appetite suppressant. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if I'm getting really hungry, I'll have a coffee to kind of help chill out my hunger. Um, so yeah, I do. Those are the two things that I basically do are water and coffee. You can do green tea. Um, some people choose to do it without anything like that and just water. And 
sometimes what we do is is juicing too. So it's not like a perfect intermittent fast, but um, you're still shutting down your gut from having to work when you're juicing. You get all the nutrients straight into your body, but it's technically not like a proper fast. That's just water. Yeah, because you're getting a lot of the plant sugars. I I have concerns around juicing because I I worry that people are limiting too much fiber from their diet when they juice like all the time. I think that's important to recognize is like the plant fibers themselves that you're removing with your juicer are important for your gut structure too. But again, on short-term use, great. Just not something you do every day, you know? Yeah. Or just mix it up, right? I mean, if you're yeah. going to have juice for one of your meals, then your other meals should definitely have the, the fiber to feed your microbiome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And again, oh. unless you have SIBO, in which case the juicing is going to usually help you quite a bit. Awesome. Um, well, another another question I have that you you cover in your book is is around these interconnections that people have, whether it's mental or emotional or spiritual connections to the food, and and how how those connections, those sensations that you have around food, how those influence your health. Yeah. So it, the, this is a spoiler alert with my book, but the, the big secret that I reveal in my book is that the key to your gut health is your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes specifically to food and I, I have a biased view cause this is what I've seen the most of in my practice is a lot of trauma around food and mm -hmm. people come in on very restrictive diets. Like They've been eating like six things for the last four years because they did a food sensitivity panel and it said that they were sensitive to everything, which mm -hmm. meant that all the, they just had a really bad leaky gut, but they took that as, as I can never eat these foods again. And because again, all this information that we're being overwhelmed with, people just have a lot of trauma. They're like, no, I can't eat that. No, that has you know, glyphosate on it, that's got lead or mercury or that, you know, that's got chemicals that's genetically modified. Like we, there's a lot, right. And then that, mm -hmm. that information's correct, but it can overwhelm people. Right. And a, a condition specifically that I treat quite a bit, uh, is a candida overgrowth of your gut, a yeast mm -hmm. overgrowth of your gut. And there's a lot of literature or information out there online that about anti candida diets. And so I've worked with these people over the years that come in and they're like, I have candida. They've never tested themselves, but they've read enough online that they're like, I have all the symptoms. So I have to follow this perfect diet. And for me, the, the amount of stress that I've seen created around following that perfect diet takes away all the benefits from the diet. Mm -hmm. So if we're like so focused, like, okay, I'm going to be perfect raw vegan, or I'm going to be perfect anti-candida, or I'm going to be perfect low FODMAP, or I'm going to follow the autoimmune protocol and never deviate. Um, that's fine for some people. Um, it doesn't create stress for them. They, they figure out how to manage that in their lives. But for most people, that's really stressful, right? It, it's different. You, you kind of have to break out from traditional culture. You have to do a lot of work to get the right meals. And so I'll tell people, I'm like, listen, I, I'd rather have you eating fast food every day than being so stressed out about this diet. Like, forget it. Like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And it, 
uh, I've had a lot of patients that just don't come back. They're like, I, I can't handle that. Like I can't get that, uh, that thought through my head that I can heal without this perfect diet. Um, so that that's my experience with mental, emotional, spiritual health. And again, that's like I said, most patients that I work with have already made pretty serious changes to their diet and are usually pretty strict. Um, and I mean, when I was working at more of like a community hospital in Chicago, um, just basic, like, I mean, they're what they have, what we call food islands in Chicago, right. Where you can go miles, Mm -hmm. uh, without any fresh produce available. And yet thousands and thousands of people can live in those miles and they have nowhere to go to get fresh produce. So it it depends on, you know, that's a different kind of stress, right? So mine comes from a very specific background of patients that are usually too restricted that, that would benefit just from chilling out a little bit and it'll make whatever diet they're following more effective. That's great. And that, so the reason I, I, behind that is the gut brain connection, right? Mm -hmm. So your brain and gut are connected via what's called your vagus nerve, right? It's a cranial nerve that runs from your brain to your gut and, and sends signals back and forth. So from the brain to the gut, the gut to the brain and your vagus nerve runs on your autonomic nervous system, your automatic, and which can have two responses, sympathetic and parasympathetic, right? And these, these were things that were like adapted through time to save us. So we would survive, right? So we, we would know when to survive and when to relax. And when you're in sympathetic, when your sympathetic nervous system is activated, you are telling your gut to shut down, right? You are telling your gut, Hey, I don't care that you just had breakfast. Like we don't, it's not the time to digest it. The, all our energy needs to go to your brain and your muscles because you need to survive, right? You're in a fight or flight situation and you need to, uh, survive. Mm -hmm. And we are living. So the analogy I use, it's like if you're hiking in Montana and you see a grizzly bear, sympathetic nervous system is activated. You want to survive you make, you survive and you're sitting by the campfire and you're in rest and digest. You're relaxing and you're like, Oh, I survived. And so I'm digesting my food and we are living as if we're running from a bear 24 seven. We wake up and the first thing we do is check our phone, which rarely activates any kind of parasympathetic response. It's usually emails, texts, calls, breaking news, uh, social media, and just the body's right. The mind's telling the gut, all right, we don't need you today because we're in survival mode. Mm. And so when we're so stressed out about the right diet and we're constantly turning on our sympathetic nervous system and we're telling our gut to not digest, you're losing all the benefits of that healthy diet that you're trying to follow. You know, that's a really great point. I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I've, I've, Obviously, I, you know, I know that the kind of constant bombardment with news and social media is like a major stressor for everyone, including myself. Yeah. Um, and I know from personal experience, uh, when I'm out camping, hiking away from all these electronics, you know, it's it's I feel better just by that simple fact of being away from it. And, you know, it, and it's interesting to think how that could also influence the way that our foods digested. It's a really good point. Yeah. 
That's a really good point. Well, these are, I mean, fascinating points. It's an amazing book. And uh, I definitely want to let our listeners know where they can learn more about, um, you know, the book and and your practice. Uh, do you have any websites you can share with us and where they can go? Yeah. So my, my website is doc-cause.com, doc-koz.com. And there's a link to my book there, which is Unfunk Your Gut, and it's funk with a C. Um, and that the book's available on Amazon or Barnes Noble or your local bookstores um, if they don't have it in stock, which they might not, but they can order it for you. Um, so the book, you know, I, I think that our greatest job as practitioners is education. And that's over the years initial visit with me was always just about education, learning about the gut, learning about how it's connected, learning about toxins, all these things. Um, so I put all of that in my book, you know, I mean, it's, it's what I think people need to know about their health in order to give them a chance to heal. Um, so through my website, um, you can find the book, you can find me, you can email us. Um, my assistant Jasmine answers the phone. She's incredible. Um, so that is the best way. That's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing um, this, these you know, awesome chunks of wisdom with us. It's been a lot of yeah. fun. My yeah. pleasure. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious recorded on Skype. I want to thank our producers of the show, Christine Roth and Rob Cohen. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in each week. You can find this and all of our other episodes on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the video version of this episode and others at the Foodie Pharmacology um, uh, playlist on the Teach Us Novotny channel on YouTube. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>